ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. When I say Rachel Ward, you say actor, screenwriter, director. Yes, but for decades she's also owned a small farm. Mostly it was a holiday retreat and a chance to get back to nature with her neighbour managing the day-to-day operations. But then two things happened. The Black Summer bushfires and the birth of Rachel's first grandchild. And they shifted something deep inside her and led ultimately to her throwing herself into regenerative farming. She also made a documentary about that process. It's called Rachel's Farm. Rachel Ward, welcome to Life Matters. Thank you, Hilary. Take us back to the days after the Black Summer fires and the birth of your grandsons and the the thoughts and feelings that were swirling around your head then. Oh, no, I don't want to go back there. Oh, sorry. Um, (laughs) No, I I think the main feeling I had was impotence. I just felt there's so much going on around us. There's so much that we're not in control of. And I think that and then having a grandchild and, you know, sort of envisioning what the future was going to be like for for him, considering what it was what was already going on for me. Um, and he was, you know, going to live for another hundred years probably. And I was just overwhelmed by the the, you know, the paradox of his innocence and his wonder with the world and really what I was observing and knowing was go was going on with the world. And I think that impotence, you know, we had a Morrison government at the time, there wasn't, didn't seem to be enough urgency around the whole climate um, considerations. And I just went, how can I step into this space and make um, and and be relevant and move it, move it somewhere forward and in the right direction? Um, so, yeah, so that really, after having a sort of big existential crisis, I then came out of that, like so many people have who have moved into this space, and just gone, right, there is something I can do in three ways. I own a small farm, I'm a filmmaker, and I'm a consumer. So I can choose what I buy, and that has a big impact. It must have also made you go, wow, these systems are big. You know, food systems are big and complicated oh. and they're mediated by so many different things. Why well, did I had you... no idea. I had yeah. no idea, of course. I had no idea of any of it. I had no idea of, you know, how complicated and how nuanced the whole space was. And yes, how, of course, it's just corporate owned and, and corporate pushed and lobbied. And, you know, you're up against huge um, opposition. Well, tell us a bit about why regenerative farming seemed like such a great uh, idea and, 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 you know, the, the difference between that and traditional farming that made you go, yes, this is the solution. Um, you know, like a lot of people, a book changed my life. I read um, Charlie Massey's book, The Call of the Reed Warbler, and I, I read it because I read a review of it in the paper and I went, oh, this just, apart from the title, which I loved, I went, I think there's something, as, as a farm owner, this is something I should read. And I hadn't read a farming book in my life. I'd really been very hands-off and very um, um, very ignorant of the whole of the whole system, of the whole farming system, the food system, everything. And once I started to open the lid on that, I just became incredibly hopeful about what could be done and what I could do. And also understanding the enormity of what I was entering into and, uh, yeah, the oppositions. Well, and tell us what state the soil was in too when you think about the enormity of what you were entering into. What were you starting with? Well, you know... I remember my sister, she was a member of the Soil Association in England, and I went, God, could there be anything more boring than being part of a soil association? You know, who cares? 
And then I started to think about the soil and learn about the soil. And I was just entered into this amazing world of all these protozoas and nematodes and fungi and bacteria and all this world, all the livestock, as somebody put it, underneath the ground um, rather than above the ground. So I was sort of introduced to this extraordinary world that was going on under the soil and and how we were interrupting the natural cycles of everything on, on the farm, really, the water, the, um, the solar, the microbes, everything. We're interfering with that by the way we farm. So once I got my head around that, it gave me some path to go down. So that's why you ended up mail ordering $800 worth of dung beetles that's and making right. your own compost. That's right. But you also made some big changes to the way you were farming cattle. Tell us about that. Well, one of the th- you know the whole thing is about how you manage your livestock. Really, rather than okay, do we get rid of all the livestock? Not necessarily. It's about how you manage the livestock. And there's a in Regen, they very much um, follow the way that herbivores work with the land. How they move on. They won't dung. They won't eat where they dung. So they're constantly moving forward. And they're also herbivores of in very packed. Um, herds because they have predators that are constantly pushing them and, you know, trying to pick them off. So they move in a, in a big herd, which makes a great impact on the ground. They trample, they poo, they nip the grass and they move on. So they're never in a position where they can overgraze. So what we've done for years and years since colonization has, um, and really and since the invention of farming, is we've set stock. So we've kept stock just in one field and we let the cattle eat, 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 eat it down until we're practically at bare soil. And that's the worst thing we could do because then it dries out and it blows away. And as you know, my, my documentary shows, my topsoil is like six inches. It's nothing. And it's dry and it's dead. And it's like dirt. And once you start to look into that, you go, it's a miracle. Anything can grow in this. And you suddenly just go on this journey about how you can put the life back into your soil. And, and the cattle, I feel, and the, the, the regen um, sort of philosophy on this is that cattle are essential into bringing back the, uh, or maintaining the health of soil. That's quite a controversial opinion in Australia, isn't it? Because we've had this argument for a long time that our ecosystems are very delicate and our our plant systems are delicate and they don't deal with hooved animals very well, even if they are kind of moving around the land. What Mm. are your thoughts on that? Well, um, I am... um I've seen what happens when the cattle move around. I've seen how it changes the the landscape. I've seen how if you don't get them, it is management. It just is, yes, it will compact if they're for days upon days upon days in one field. But if you keep them moving, all they do really is trample and they trample the long grasses and they and they keep the grasses in a state of constant growing, which of course then means that photosynthesis is involved, which means that we are pulling carbon out of the atmosphere and a lot of it is recycled, but a lot of it is also stored in the in the ground. And that's where it becomes such a sort of climate change, um, it, you know, it, it's become so important for climate change because it is pulling carbon out of the atmosphere. Trees do it and be, and huge pastures do it. They just pull carbon constantly. But if you've got a grazing herd there in there, they're just they're nipping it so far down that you don't have 
the grass. You know, the grass isn't constantly growing. And it's that constantly growing thing which is essential to pulling carbon. There's that argument too, Rachel Ward, that uh, cows produce methane, which is a very dangerous greenhouse gas. And I know a lot of the research has focused on intensive cattle farming rather than looking at more pastoral uh, nomadic type of systems such as you have. But is that an issue too? I mean, if you're pulling carbon down and sequestering it in the ground, yes, but you're also emitting it through the, the burps and farts. You are, but that is a sort of, I mean, it, Obviously, when you get industrial methods of farming, which is what um, and, and factory farming, which is what uh, uh, feedlots are, of course you're disrupting. Of course you're putting too much in. I mean, my thing would be to say, yes, we definitely need to embrace the um, eating more plants and less meat. I mean, meat was always something you ate at a, a you know in high days and holidays. It wasn't something to be consumed at every meal. So I think the balance of how much meat we eat and the and the balance of how much uh, how many how much cattle we have needs to be addressed. But in Australia, which is insane, is we have fifty percent of our cattle are in feedlots, and it's considering the amount of uh, uh, of area we have and how cattle can improve sort of um, very very dry areas by encouraging the you know even just the wetness of their poos. That's sometimes the only a liquid that a landscape is going to see for days and days and days. And, you know, I just think it's a very binary argument, the for and the for and the against, and there is definitely a space in the middle where we can, where cattle can be um, very positive in the whole food chain. So after you'd been making these huge changes for a year, what kind of changes were you seeing in the land and in the way the farm uh, was sustaining itself or, or potentially able to sustain itself both environmentally and financially? Um, look, it doesn't happen overnight. Um, we saw we had big changes because we basically divided up our, our, our fields from 90 paddocks, uh, from 30 paddocks to 90 paddocks. So that enables me to move the cattle around the, 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 the farm in a like you know, like I'm imitating a wild herd, and we move the cattle pretty much every day, depending not so much in the winter, because um, there isn't as much ca- grass for the cattle to consume. But so we slow it up, and then we give them additives in a cattle canteen, which is a, some added protein and the sort of minerals that they, the extra minerals that they need. But um, essentially, they move around. My, I don't slash anymore, so I'm not using fossil fuels. I use the cattle to, to trample the grasses. And in a way, my farm now looks like it's been rewilded. There's a, there's a lot more grass, um, a lot more, um, you know, like I'm not afraid of weeds anymore. The weeds are part of it. The cattle take a little nip, nip of a weed if that's what they need. And in fact, my weeds are reducing because weeds can't, they're opportunists. So they come when you've got bare ground. I don't have any bare ground anymore. I've got, you know, um, sort of layers of mulch and compost underneath my grass and am I seeing differences? It's, you know, I think it takes a good seven years to really see the changes. I don't know if anybody's seen Biggest Little Farm, but that was very much about in order to repair something, it takes nature about seven seven years to really ba- rebalance the whole ecosystem. So we're sort of about halfway there and we are seeing new grasses. Um, oh, it's, you know, the... The three, the, the the debate to change or not is definitely, um, it, it is definitely the first three years while you change, are, you are vulnerable. 
um, like you are with anything. You know, things have to get in place. They have to get robust before it really takes off. And the great thing about nature is that once you get things in balance, it sort of takes a, it takes it onto itself and it then starts to move in this incredibly robust and ever sort of uh, evolving, uh, evolving way. So... Um, I'm not there yet, but I'm, you know, certainly that's the idea. And Rachel, just quickly as we finish up, has all this process made you reflect on differently to the, on the indigenous connection to land in your area? Yes, very much. We've had um, um, a lovely family called the Walker family have been involved in changing, um, helping me change the farm, and just I think it's their their appreciation, their acknowledge that the cycles of nature are, you know absolutely valid in the way we farm and 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 eat and i think you know just their appreciation for it their understanding of it was very very encouraging for me because basically they were absolutely taking op- occupying the same space as as regen farming is they absolutely it, um it makes complete sense to them that's the, what I found anyway. It's been fascinating reading and, and watching and, and chatting you t- to you today, Rachel. Thanks so much for joining us on Life Thank Matters. you. Thank you. Rachel Ward is the director and subject of the documentary Rachel's Farm. I spoke with her when the film came out, but you can still catch that documentary on streaming service Stan. Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go. Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks, all free on the ABC Listen app.